Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And this week we are joined by returning guest Hannah Gaze. Thanks for joining us, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Hannah, you're a researcher at the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Centre, but appearing today in a personal capacity. You recently wrote a report with friend of the show Jason Wilson about a very naughty boy, I would have to say, Brandon Russell from Atomwaffen and what he's been up to lately. But I guess just to begin with, perhaps could you fill in our listeners on who Brandon Russell is and w- what his history is? Yeah, of course. So Brandon Russell is the founder of a white power group called Adam Waffen Division that is a group that operates on the assumption that ter- acts of terrorism are the main way to help usher in the arrival of a white ethno state slash national socialist state. Adam Waffen arose out of this forum called Iron March. That was like a global fascist fraternity, so to speak, uniting a bunch of different far-right groups throughout the world, whether it's in Russia, Australia, Europe, United States, Canada. And Adam Waffen is, I mean, one of a handful of groups that arose out of that forum, but I think arguably within the US context, probably one of the most consequential. Russell was originally the group's, fa- I mean, is one of the group's co-founders and was arrested back in the day in connection to a double, a alleged double murder in Florida. Devin Arthurs is still awaiting trial. And the feds had found bomb making materials in the house that he, that Brandon Russell shared with Arthurs as a result of their investigation into this alleged double murder. So Russell went to prison for a little bit, and he was released in 2021. And what we found is really rather than de-radicalizing him or causing him to move away from the movement in even just any general capacity, Russell seems to have gone straight out of prison and gone right back into it, which I think really brings us to the arrest in early February. So what, what was that arrest over? Russell is uh, accused of conspiring with a woman that he met in prison who the feds are saying was also a uh, romantic partner of his to attack power grids around the city of Baltimore, essentially with this idea in mind that's very prominent in accelerationist circles that if you take out something like the power grid, it will cause widespread unrest and possibly help usher in the race war that they so desperately want. It also just, I mean, these guys also just generally want to see violence and chaos. And they're doing this under the belief that 
these kinds of attacks could, and I mean, it is true, these kinds of attacks would cause a great deal of damage and harm to a variety of communities. So there is a indictment that was unsealed in early February based on what appears to be a series of conversations between a federal informant and Russell and his um, parent collaborator, Sarah Beth Cleandale, talking about their plans to attack the power grid. Also talks a little bit the indictment also talks a little bit about how Russell was sharing material, including this particular 14-page document that includes instructions on how to attack the power grid. I suppose this could be viewed as a new strategy on the part of the people associated with Adam Waffen and the accelerationist tendency. But does this political strategy have a history? What's inspiring these attacks upon the power grid? I mean, I think the idea is that infrastructure is in some ways a much easier target than, say, executing a, a series of murders or mass shootings, different kinds of attacks. That it's a, U.S. infrastructure is such that, I mean, I think this is probably especially true of power substations, is that like some of the security around them might be significantly more limited depending on the jurisdiction. There's also, of course, as we know from the chemical spill in Ohio, too. I mean, U.S. infrastructure is really at this pretty tenuous place in a lot of places. So any kind of attacks or impacts, like efforts to kind of impact its ability to function, I mean, it's, I think it's seen as kind of, as one of the events that Russell, Russell allegedly shared, views infrastructure as kind of a sit, sitting duck, easy prey. But basically, I mean, essentially the argument from an accelerationist perspective is that a method of causing chaos, just generally impacting, especially with like a city like Baltimore, that's pretty large, as opposed to say a rural area, I mean, it's going to affect a ton of people. And again, also too, with Baltimore, I mean, there's the racial dynamic here. It's a pretty heavily minority city. And obviously, these guys are very hardened white supremacists, and any kind of damage they can do to minority communities in the US. I mean, that's of particular interest to them. And I did notice that one of the chats that's referred to in the reportage is titled Freedom Club. And I was wondering if that was a nod to Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski is definitely within these circles, I, I think is really viewed as maybe not... I don't know if necessarily figurehead is the right word, but his arguments about technology, about technological slavery, I mean, are certainly of interest to this crowd. I think they draw different conclusions in some in some senses, but yeah, certainly certainly of interest, and I think has just been pretty Kaczynski's work and impact has been pretty influential on the Telegram community writ large. I feel like one of Ted Kaczynski's takes on the Telegram community might be what are you all doing on the computer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit surprising because they're they're all using electronics to talk about the dangers of electronics and I can't really think of a better example of the dangers of the life that we live where so much of our day-to-day -day existence is mediated by electronics than a bunch of white guys planning terrorism through a chat app, but that's just me. <laughs> so you tracked Brandon's online activities after he was released from prison. What did you find? Where, whereabouts was he posting this stuff? So Russell 
kind of for Russell's reemergence into the movement kind of first came of attention to me in late 2021 when he cropped back up on Twitter and he kept it pretty innocuous on Twitter for a while. I mean, he was mostly just posting photos of himself and not really sharing particularly his incendiary comp content on there per se. But what we found, so th- through these chats, which date from June to November of 2022, is that Russell was using three usernames. I think it's important to note that the indictment against Russell and Clendale only cited Russ- two of Russell's usernames. We identified another, another, mostly because Russell very helpfully at one point says, oh yeah, I'm that guy. I, w- I was under this previous pseudonym and now I'm under this one. So he had to reintroduce himself at some point, which turned out to be very helpful from a reporting perspective. But what he was doing is he was sharing... A lot of content from a website called American Futurist, which is run by a former Adam Waffen division member, Jack Espinoza, and includes some other contributors who are associated with that movement. He was also sharing some material from Brian Hatfield's group, the National Socialist Order, which is which has since rebranded. But and he was also sharing, I mean these these various PDFs that were associated that that have been circulated for a while on Telegram. One of them is called Make It Count. It includes, it's, I mean, relevant to Russell's case. It includes instructions on attacking infrastructure. It describes attacking the current system as one of the only ways, in their mind, of saving the white race. And I think there's one particularly salient quote, just in terms of Russell's activity here, where they say, quote, the main thing that keeps the anti-white system going is the power grid. So he was really, I think it really shows a couple of things. The first is that he did not lose touch with members of Adam Waffen Division, where he knew that because SPLC has access to some chats from AWD when Russell was in prison, and they describe communicating with him. And then also, too, that he, I mean, was really embedded in this niche Telegram community, this niche milieu of very hardened neo-Nazis. And he was, I think, a pretty important figure within that space. I have to say, my my heart swelled with a little bit of patriotism when I saw that uh, some of the people he was sharing this content with were Australian. Talks to people all over the globe, I guess. (laughs) Just before any of our listeners were getting too cocky about all these crazy Americans. Does it ever come into their thinking that, you know, there are cities in America that don't have drinkable water coming out of the taps? Like the infrastructure, they've sort of played out what happens when basic infrastructure breaks down. I I think the fact that, like like I was kind of saying earlier, I think the fact that US infrastructure in in some places really is so weak Um, and is weak in, I mean, very well-populated areas where you probably wouldn't really necessarily expect it to be. They definitely think about that. Of course, I personally would view weak infrastructure as a negative thing. They seem to see it as positive. But yeah, I mean, certainly want a furtherance of that. They do. Hannah, apart from this current prosecution, what's been the nature of the FBI's involvement in investigating Atomoffin? That is a very interesting question. <laughs> So, one of the things that we talk a little bit about in this piece is 
Ryan Hatfield under a pseudonym, who was, who was a member of Adam Waffen Division, published a piece about alleging that there was an FBI informant or FBI undercover officer within the group and tried to out dox him on their website. And one of the claims within that piece that Hatfield put out is that this guy was working with a man named Joshua Sutter. So Sutter was a member of Adam Waffen Division who arose, I, I think, joined a bit after Russell's arrest. I forget, I'm not, I forget the exact dates, though. Or Russell's original arrest, that is. But Sutter was a neo-Nazi, ran a neo-Nazi Satanist group called Temple of Blood. He also had a publishing house called Martinet Press that really put out this really disgusting, vile material. Like, gr- like gross beyond the level of gross that you find in most national socialist circles. Material that was essentially promoting rape, murder, etc. So Sutter became a pretty influential member of the group. His connection to the Order of Nine Angles, this neo-Nazi Satanist ideology that Temple of Blood is connected to, became kind of one of the preferred philosophies of some high-ranking members of Adam Waffen Division and caused some pretty significant ideological fissures within the group. You see this kind of play out. It turns out, though, that Sutter was a longtime FBI informant, got paid six figures for his work dating back nearly 20 years to inform the feds on the activities of various white supremacist groups. And it's, it's tough because it really raises a lot of these pretty uncomfortable questions. I mean, about federal like legal involvement in all of this. Because on the one hand, Sutter did provide, I, I mean, it appears to have provided information that led to the arrests of key Adam Waffen members who were involved in some pretty terrible activities. But on the other hand, he was also this very central member who's publishing work and pushing forward ideologies that really helped shape the group at a pretty critical moment. You're listening to Yenar Pesaran on 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We're currently talking to Hannah Gase about Nazis. Hannah, I guess you could probably say that Adam Waffen Division are not the biggest fans of Joe Biden's Build Back Better project. The same could also perhaps be said of the New York Young Republicans Club, whose annual gala you attended last year. How was that? Oh, it was it was great. Honestly, it was some of the most fun I've had in approximately five hours at a far right event in a while. There was there's one line in the story that you guys published on this that tickles me every time when somebody talks to the guy from Newsweek about. <laughs> about meeting Peter Brimlow and he gets so excited until he asks where you're from and then his expression slackens. Yes, that was that was an extremely funny moment because actually so this got cut down a little bit in the piece. But Joshua Hammer or Josh Hammer is the opinion editor of Newsweek and he my colleague Michael Osenhade has done a lot of reporting on him. But yeah, he he was one of the main figureheads at this rather bombastic Republican club event. And at the end of the night, we we had just been kind of si- sitting sitting around, taking notes, watching the speeches throughout most of the night. And once things wrapped up, we just started working our way through the crowd to ask some key people questions. So 
Hammer was one of the people we tried to speak to. So Mike goes up to Hammer and just starts to initiate a conversation with him and introduces himself as Mike Hayden from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Forget if he said said the full name or just SPLC. Regardless, all, all of these guys know either either the acronym or, or the full name very, very well. Josh then proceeds to ask if Mike comes here often. I Mike says, no, this is my first time. And I also introduce myself as, oh, hey, I'm Hannah. I'm also with the SPLC. Somehow, these two SPLC people introducing themselves to him did not entirely click. But we bring up the fact that Peter Brimlow is here. And yeah, then Hammer essentially is just, oh, Brimlow is here? He seems very excited. And he says that he really wants to go talk to him. And then Mike just kind of starts asking some probing questions about how Josh Hammer got his job. And then Hammer starts to sort of realize what's going on. So that's where the the slackening expression, like his face slackening, that comes in. And he says, I'm sorry, who did you tell me? Who did you say you were with? We tell him again. And the woman he was with, I mean, presumably his date or girlfriend, I'm not entirely sure, says as they start to walk away that we look like we're from the SPLC, which I'm not really sure what that means. <laughs> I, 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 if, if she's for some reason listening to this, I would love to know what that means, please. I'm very easy to contact online. Please let me know. So is Mike. But yeah, it was it was definitely it was just absolutely comical, like straight out of a movie. Just what? There was quite a cast of characters at the Young Republican event. Hannah, is this now the Republican Party's base? Yeah, I think that's especially the pro-Trump movement wing of it, at least. Um, I mean, I think a lot of these guys are who were in that room are probably more in the bag for Trump than they are for DeSantis. I guess we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, these guys are definitely, so many of them really are power players in what is now the modern Republican Party. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, despite the fact that she maybe ideologically on the fringes is like animating these groups of young Republicans. I think the same could be said of Donald Trump Jr. too. I know like... When it, when it comes to the question of the base, I guess it kind of depends on like sort of the extent that we're talking about it. I think there, it's certainly true that this is a pretty core part of the party at this point, and that that in and of itself is disturbing. But it's also not the necessarily the entirety of it. I mean, obviously, I, I think especially after some of the wildness that was happening in terms of getting a getting a speaker of the house in there a couple months ago i mean yeah i mean certainly some of these some of these folks don't necessarily have friends in all of the gop but they're certainly power players what sort of things were being discussed on stage many 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 things i think my favorite was really when marjorie taylor green just started ranting about sex toys being allegedly sell, sold in like Target or CVS or something. That was that was a little odd. She also made a crack that if she and Steve Bannon had helped organize Jan 6, that 
they would have won. And also it would have been armed. That I think that's pretty telling as to, yeah, some of, some of where these guys think politics should go, maybe. But some of it, too, was also just rambling and incoherent because they had hours of speeches. I think by the by the end of it, with, with Marjorie Taylor Greene was, I think, the last or one of the last speakers. I can't remember. But I remember, remember just sitting there and just being like, this has been going on for so long. <laughs> Because, like, they just had a huge list. It was NYYRC people. It was the people who were coming up and getting these awards. Jack Sobiec. And they just kept going on and on and on. What do you think it says that there were so many representatives of European, I guess you could say fascist, more openly fascist parties present at this event? I thought that was a really interesting aspect of that of it. And I was, t- I was talking to some people afterwards who have been doing this kind of work and focus on this field for much longer than I have and thought I were very interested in the fact that there were so many of them. I think it really shows that both they want to make this an international movement and also that they kind of have to make this an international movement. So when I, when I say that, that it's these fringe right-wing parties, when they're not necessary, I think, I mean, obviously these, these are the Republicans we're talking about, but like AFD, Alternative for Deutschland, they, it's helpful for them on some level to find friends abroad because it just helps them build connections that they might not necessarily be able to make back home. It also helps give them a little bit of legitimacy too. So if you're a, I mean, for bo- in both cases, I think one thing that was particularly interesting about the New York Young Republican Club is that they have really leaned into this, I think in a way, maybe more so than some other right-wing groups have. But you also kind of see it in places like CPAC too. I mean, there was CPAC Hungary, CPAC Mexico recently, I guess, too. Just trying to find ways to find people elsewhere throughout the world who share roughly their political interests, their political project, same political project, and find ways to collaborate with them. In terms of international relations, Hannah, was there much discussion about the situation in Ukraine? And what's the general perspective on the part of the Republican Party's far right towards the war? I mean, somewhat. This particular wing of the far right, I think, has generally been a little bit skeptical of U.S. involvement in the war in Ukraine, with some of them then skewing more pro-Russian or like anti-anti-Ukrainian, I guess would maybe be another way of putting it. But take it taking much more of like a kind of isolationist tack, I think. But it didn't, I think all things considered that night, it didn't necessarily figure in as much. But it's certainly been a kind of pet talking point on the right. Especially it's it's interesting to see some of that too coming up with people like Jack Posobiec who have been so, I mean, involved in certain cases with pushing either kind of pro-Russian propaganda or propaganda that kind of came out of Russian hacks or meddling, thinking particularly of the some of, some of the leaks that he helped disseminate. And uh, one of the other people that was at the event was James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. Uh, I was wondering if you could update our, our listeners on what has happened to James O'Keefe and what's going to happen to Project Veritas the musical? 
I don't know. I I I really would have loved to see Project Veritas music, musical. I have some Project Veritas hats that I took from a CPAC in 2020. I could have worn one of them to go see it, but I guess that's that's just never going to happen now. Uh, so James O'Keefe was pushed out of Project Veritas, the organization that he founded by the board, basically largely around concerns regarding how he was running the organization, uh, how he was treating the staff, etc. He was initially, believe, put on leave, forget if it was paid or unpaid, a couple of weeks ago, and then they basically formally out, like, ousted him of the org- from the organization this past week. And one of the, th- the things that's been really interesting about the reaction is that a lot of the figures who were at this event, with a couple of notable exceptions, including one figure, Matthew T- uh, Tiermend, who's on the board of Project Veritas, is that so many of them have rallied around James O'Keefe. And yeah, I mean, it's I do really wonder, especially with CPAC coming up this week, what we're going to kind of see there just in terms of O'Keefe, um, in terms of will Project Veritas be there? Will they be tabling? If they are tabling, will there just be people who are at CPAC relentlessly yelling at them? Who knows? But yeah, I mean, uh, for such a um, figure like James O'Keefe, it's really been something to watch. And I think we'll make a really terribly acted scene in a very poorly made movie one day. Breitbart presents James (laughs) O'Keefe. Well, Hannah, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. If people want to read more of your work, you are on Twitter while it still stands, at Hannah Gase. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You can also find me on Mastodon, which I will try and be better at using someday. Oh, what's, your, what's your Mastodon? That might be a more long-term place to point people. Hannah at Journahost. Or Hannah Gaze at Journahost. And I also just recently started a newsletter called Posts from Underground on Ghost. Subscribe if you want. Or don't subscribe. It's okay. Whatever no, people they, want to do. They have to subscribe. I'm giving them a direction. Go subscribe to Hannah's newsletter. Thanks so much for coming on. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right, Andy, that is the show. We'll be back next week. See you later. See you then.
Have you experienced or seen racism against blackfellas? Report racism against First Nations people with Call It Out, an online register to expose racism. Stand up, be heard, call it out. Go to callitout.com.au. A 3CR supporter. Travellers Aid Australia is offering free scooter safety training sessions. They will help mobility scooter and powered wheelchair users to practice their skills and build confidence in navigating their local community and accessing public transport. These sessions are delivered by trained facilitators and volunteers and are provided across Melbourne. For more information or to register interest, visit travellersaid.org.au, call on 03 
or email info at travellersaid.org.au. Travellers Aid Australia is a 3CR supporter.